our first session concluded with the fact that, um, in fact, as the words, the last words of the chorus of that song we just sung, um, that God has left us his spirit, that we live in the age of the spirit, that the Holy Spirit was given for all believers for all time down the ages, and that means us today. Okay, so we've, we've looked at who the Holy Spirit is, we've looked at what the Holy, what does the Holy Spirit do, but now we're going to turn our attention, if you like, to perhaps the practical side um, of the question. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And um, I mentioned that, that St. Paul said, um, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He encouraged us to be filled um, with the Holy Spirit. In fact, well, let's just turn there now. It's um, Ephesians 5.18, which is on one thousand, he says, playing for time, 1,176. And it's towards the top right-hand part of that page, verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18. And it begins, uh, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And uh, um, in other words... Paul's saying, I suppose, that getting drunk isn't really the real thing. Um, it's a kind of substitute. And um, that there's something more. My, both Kirsty and I, um, in years gone by, were cigarette smokers. And for Kirsty, um, um, she had tried to stop many, many times and had given up for some significant periods of time. Um, but she had never broken the addiction. She'd always really struggled to give up smoking. And, uh, and many... People today are addicted to different kinds of things. Um, Not just cigarettes, but drugs, alcohol, and many other things as well. Food addictions, excessive shopping, destructive relationships, biting our fingernails, talking obsessively. All of these things are coping mechanisms or addictions which have a grip on our lives. And uh, amazingly, the day that Kirsty prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into her life... um, Um, turned out to be the last day that she smoked a cigarette. Not because the 11th commandment says, thou shalt not smoke cigarettes, because it doesn't, but because when she was filled with the Holy Spirit, um, she lost um, that, the power power of the addiction was broken. And that was her experience. That doesn't happen with everybody, but it was a a really dramatic thing for her. She'd be the first person to say that she didn't give up by willpower. Um, She'd tried that many times before, but from that day, she was filled with the Spirit and, she, and she, the, um, the, the will to smoke cigarettes was lost. Um, there's an amazing book by a woman called um, Jackie Pullinger called Chasing the Dragon, where she tells the story of her um, kind of ministry, I suppose, in the walled city, the old walled city in Hong Kong, and how dozens of hardened heroin addicts um, and, and uh, um, opium addicts in the walled city of Hong Kong, were released of their addictions as God's Spirit came, came upon them, as she introduced them to, to God and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. And they were released from, from the grip of addictions. And she's had a phenomenal, um, still has a phenomenal um, uh, ministry there, um, releasing people through the power of the Holy Spirit from addictions. So Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he says that... When he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not a one-off experience he's talking about. 
The, the actual, the Greek word that's used there is translated literally as go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what is the difference between a Christian believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit and one who is not filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, perhaps one analogy would be, which is very fitting on a day when the heating's broken in here, but one analogy would be a gas boiler. Because in a gas boiler that you have at home, you know that even in the summer months, if you look through the little window, if you've got a little window in your gas boiler or you open the door and have a look, you know that you'll see that little pilot light um, ticking away inside there. And it's only when it actually kicks in and the heating comes on or, or, or the hot water comes on that you get the... Sorry, that was a bit dramatic, wasn't it? But anyway, you know what I mean. It, the, the gas suddenly ignites and it blows into life. And, um, and, 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 and so I suppose it's a little bit like that. So all Christians, all believers have the Holy Spirit, but some Christians are not fully fired up by the Holy Spirit, shall we say. Um, not firing on all four cylinders, you could say. But just how can we be filled with the Spirit? That's what I'd like to cover now. In the earlier talk we heard about the disciples being filled by the Spirit at Pentecost. Now, they had been in this upper room, as it was called. They had been praying together for days and days after Jesus had told them that the Spirit would come. They had been praying together for days and days, eager and expectant for the Holy Spirit. That was their attitude. They were eager and expectant. They were saying, Lord, please come. We, we, you, know, you told us about it. Please come and fill us with the Spirit. Um, let's turn to Acts um, chapter 8, which I think is on page 1,101. Uh, Those disciples on the day of Pentecost were expectant and eager. But there are other times in the book of Acts when people are filled by the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a few of those. So in Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 14 to 17. And this is a group who you, we might be able to say were, were receptive to the Spirit. They weren't expecting the Spirit, but they were receptive to the Spirit. Um, so here we are, chapter, um, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they, might, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they were quite open. Something uh, amazing must have happened, because in this story, Simon the magician... Um, actually offers money to be able to do the same thing. And of course, Peter tells him that it's completely inappropriate uh, uh, to, to, to ask for this, this gift of the Spirit in exchange for money. Um, but it does show that, again, something quite extraordinary was going on when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that someone would want to um, offer money for it. So some were longing, like the, the people on the day of Pentecost. Some were, were receptive... But some people were hostile towards the Holy Spirit. And in fact, um, Saul, who was later to be um, 
become the Apostle Paul, was an example of someone who was hostile towards the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, that's one page over, verses 1 and 2. And Saul was this, this um, religious Jew who was very, very high up in the, in the um, Jewish religious establishment. And this is what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which means the Christian faith, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul was out to get all the, these new Christians. Uh, the church was in its very first um, um, early days. Um, and here was this chap um, absolutely set against them. He couldn't have been more hostile. What's interesting is that on the road to Damascus, having obtained the letters which gave him a warrant to, to imprison people, on the road to Damascus, he encountered the risen Jesus Christ and his life is utterly transformed. If you jump forward to verse 17, um, okay, we read what happens when Ananias goes around to um, Saul's house. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And in fact, if you just read on another verse, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. In one week, he goes from persecutor of all the Christians, he's out to get them, and a week later he's preaching in the Jewish synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It's amazing. And that was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and sometimes people are hostile. Um, I know a wonderful man called um, James Odgers. And um, he... Uh, founded a, a Christian organisation I referred to earlier called um, the Beesom Foundation, this charity in London that distributes food and clothes and so on to, to the poor and underprivileged. But he didn't always used to be like that. James used to be um, a rich uh, lawyer, a wealthy lawyer in London, and he had a, but he had a friend who had found faith and was determined to, to invite James on an alpha course. And so he invited him and James said, no, I'm not having anything to do with that. And about six months later, the, same, the friend approached him again and said, James, why don't you come and do an alpha course? And James said, I am not going to do that. Go away, don't talk to me about it again. And about six months later, the friend came back again, the third time, and said, James, come and do an alpha course. And, uh, and he said, right, he said, I'm going to come along, he said, but you're going to regret it because I'm going to disprove it. I'm going to show, I'm going to show the Christian faith for the sham that it is. And that was his position. And he came along um, on the alpha course, and uh, <laughs> he came along in the Alpha course, and far from disproving it, he came to realise that, um, um, that it was true. And he asked Jesus into his life, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and after that, his life was completely transformed. He gave up his career as a lawyer, he sold his big London house, he moved his family, he had young children, he moved them out of the house, um, he bought a, uh, a, a, um, a warehouse in Battersea, he moved his family into a flat on the side of the warehouse... Um, and from that warehouse, um, still today, this, this is, this is um, 12, 15 years ago, from that warehouse, um, 
countless thousands of people have received, as I say, food and clothing and, and, and all kinds of things as he's um, ministered to the poor um, and, and underprivileged in London. And he had been hostile, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he was, his life was completely transformed. So, We've looked at some people who um, were longing for the Spirit, some who were just receptive, some who were hostile. And now we're going to look at some others. Acts 19, which is on a few pages. And here we're going to look at some people who were perhaps just uninformed about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read from verse 1 of chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples... And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And you know, for for some people that's how it's been. Um, Some people um, today have been baptised or christened and confirmed and, and maybe even gone to church all their lives. But say, but actually I've never really encountered the Holy Spirit. I've never really understood the Holy Spirit's part in, in all of this. And, um, and, and that's how they were. And so um, Paul goes on, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Uh, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied and there were about 12 men in all. So there's a, another set, set of people. Some have been longing, some receptive, some hostile and some uninformed. But now I'm going to look at, we're going to look at one more passage um, in a bit more detail which is, um, just turn back a few pages to Acts 10. Um, and we're on page... Well, we're going to be on page 1,105, actually, towards the end of Acts chapter 10, and it's verse 44 to 46. This is actually the fifth occasion in the book of Acts when people are filled by the Holy Spirit. Um, In the background of this is that the Apostle Peter is with a particular group of Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews. Up to this point... All of the people who had joined the way, the, 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 this early Christian church, and been filled with the Spirit, had been Jews. Um, but here is a group of Gentiles, and, um, and if you, so you might say that this group are the unlikely group. Because to the Jews, they would never have any dealings normally with non-Jews. You could, so, so this was an unlikely group of people, certainly from the perspective of Paul the Apostle and Peter and so on, to receive the Holy Spirit. And what has happened is that in a remarkable set of circumstances in which God speaks to Peter and separately to a man called Cornelius, Peter ends up at Cornelius's house, and Cornelius is a Gentile and non-Jew, and Peter is teaching or preaching to this group in Cornelius's house. And this is what happens. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, in other words the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even 
on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So what did they experience? What was, what was going on there? Well, the first thing they experienced was the power of the Holy Spirit. Something pretty remarkable must have happened because Peter was in the middle of a sermon, if you like. He was teaching and preaching and he had to stop. And preachers don't easily stop. <laughs> he was interrupted by whatever the Holy Spirit was doing. We don't know exactly what that was. Um, and when we experience God's Holy Spirit, it's different for each one of us. On the day of Pentecost, we heard in the earlier talk, um, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the crowd in Jerusalem, the language used was kind of like a heavy storm. There was a tremendous wind. It wasn't a real wind. It was just the sound of a wind. Um, and also, they saw something like tongues of flames. Quite extraordinary, really. <clears throat> now, we'll never know exactly what that was like. But today, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes, occasionally, there are physical manifestations. Some people speak of being flooded by liquid heat. Well, that would be quite good today, wouldn't it? Fire symbolizes um, power, the power and passion and the purity of God. Interestingly, the day Kirsty, my wife Kirsty, um, the day she invited Jesus into her life, she, when she told me about it on the phone, she said that as she spoke to me and told me, it was like her body came on fire. Um, and she said, no, it wasn't just a hot flush. It was in the days before she had hot flushes. <laughs> in, well, in one sense, it was a hot flush, but not that kind. And, um, but she was filled with God's spirit. Now, I, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting for one moment that people always have extraordinary or odd sensations when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not. Most times, people just have a, a lovely sense of peace or, or joy or, or love in their hearts. I'd say that's the most common experience of being filled with the Spirit. But sometimes, there are manifestations like that. Sometimes, occasionally, people weep when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Not because they're sad, but because when they weep with joy. Um, but it's different for everyone. But most often it's just a sense of peace. And what really matters, of course, is not the physical manifestations. What matters is what we experience in our hearts, that we experience the love of God. Um, and it's God's love that's poured out into our hearts when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think everyone could do with a good dose of God's love. I mentioned that um, from my first experience of God's Holy Spirit on, on the business trip to South Africa a number of years ago. And, um, and I, you know, I wouldn't have called myself, I certainly wasn't a believing Christian then. Um, but I felt um, just this wonderful sense of God's love pouring into my heart. Um, and that sense, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that, that God was my father and I was his, his son. And that was, the, that was the feeling that I had when I was filled with the Spirit. The second time I've, that I really had a, quite a strong sense of God's spirit was a few months later on the Alpha Day when I went on an Alpha course subsequently. And um, the course um, leader at, at some point offered, offered us the opportunity to, to be prayed with. 
And I, at that time, I, it, was the, it was the time when I actually felt, you know, I really do feel I want to give the Christian faith a go. And I prayed a prayer inviting Jesus into my life and asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I say, all I had was a wonderful sense of just God's love for me and, uh, and a sense of peace. Back to our story, though. What happened in this, story, in this particular passage we're looking at when um, they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we've said um, the power of the Holy Spirit was present. Secondly, they were released in praise. Um, it, in verse 46, it says, For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Spontaneous praise is what we do when we say or sing or, or when we're thrilled or excited by God. And it involves our whole personalities in our minds, our hearts, and including our emotions. And some people say, well, you know, is it right to get emotional um, in church? Isn't that just emotionalism? Don't we want to, we don't want to get carried away? Well, I think there's a, a few thoughts on that, really. Um, we Brits, we British people, are very fearful, aren't we, of showing our emotions um, very often. Stiff upper lip and all that. You know, men crying as for women and children, and, um, you know, we're, sort of, we're almost taught to suppress our emotions. But guess what? I know this is going to surprise a few of you, but Jesus wasn't British. <laughs> it's, a, it's partly a cultural thing. Relationships should, of course, involve emotions. When I get back from perhaps sometimes, occasionally I have a week away, either on retreat or, or, or something else. Um, and when I get back from a week away, imagine what Kirsty would think if I walked in and sort of held up my hand and said, Hello, dear. <laughs> I don't think it would, it would help the relationship very much. Of course, I give her a great big hug and tell her how much I've missed her. Um, and some people say, well, okay, it's all right to do emotions in private, but not in public. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be emotional in public. Well, I don't know. I, I would challenge that and say, well, just go to the Medeski Stadium on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon when there's a match playing. I don't think people um, don't do emotion in public, do they? Um, they throw their hands in the air and cheer for their team. Um, our Olympian, our fantastic Olympian medal winners... Um, I don't think they said, oh, thanks for the medal, did they? They went, yeah! <laughs> they showed emotion. There were, there were cheers and tears and shouts of joy and arms waving in the air. So quite honestly, I don't think delirious emotionalism is a danger in the Anglican church today. Um, so there's nothing, all I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with expressing um, our emotions or, dare I say it, even raising our hands in worship, or whatever it is we feel led to do by God's Spirit. Kirsty, funnily enough, on, on that subject, Kirsty and I were in Rome a couple of years ago, and uh, we went on a tour of some of the catacombs, which is the places where <coughs> um, particularly poorer people and many Christians um, in, the, in the early church um, in the first centuries um, were buried um, outside the city walls. And there are kilometres of underground tunnels with thousands upon thousands of tombs um, in, in the catacombs. But in one of them we went down to, there's, there's one uh, that has a, a, a carved out of the rock deep down underground, is a chapel. It's called the Greek chapel. And, um, and we went in there, and there are some 2,000-year-old pictures, paintings on the wall that were done by those first-century um, Christians in this Greek chapel. And... Uh, 
And some of the pictures are pictures of Bible stories, but some of the pictures are pictures they drew of each other. Uh, so they, they had, there were pictures of them worshipping. And in all the pictures of them praying and worshipping, this is their attitude. This is, this is the way they used to pray and this is the way they used to worship. So you could say that this position is the most traditional position of the church for, for prayer and worship. But anyway, there we are, I digress. Um, the third thing that, that we read about that happened in that passage is that they received a new language. Um, this thing that's mentioned called the gift of tongues. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And in fact, we heard that mentioned a couple of times before, didn't we? At, at, in Acts 2, in Pentecost, when the, the Holy Spirit was first poured out, they were all speaking in different kinds of tongues. And then in, in Ephesus, um, in, we heard that they received the gift of tongues as well. So just, the Bible mentions it several times. So what is this? What's it about? Well, Firstly, it's a gift of the Spirit. It's a gift from God. Most commonly, it's an unrecognisable language. Very occasionally, it can be a recognisable human language that hasn't been learned. In other words, a language that you don't know. But more commonly, it's, it's a completely unrecognisable um, spiritual language, I suppose, if you like. And... Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in fact, tells us in his letter to the church in Corinth, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him, for he utters mysteries in his spirit. So, in fact, it's a way of speaking to God. So, what does that mean? It's prayer. It's just, it's a different form of prayer. What's the point of it? Well, firstly... Because it's a way of speaking to God, it's another wonderful way of building our relationship with God. When Christians exercise this gift in personal prayer times, it builds up the relationship. Um, it, it, as uh, the Apostle Paul says, it edifies um, the person. Secondly, there are some times when we can't find words to say what we want to say um, in which case, this is a wonderful gift which allows us to pour our hearts out to God even when we're completely lost for words. And my, my, sort of, the, my most sort of memorable um, experience of this was just after, last, after Christmas 2008. My father, who was then aged 83, was taken to hospital to the Royal Barks for a very simple operation, but some complications um, kicked in in the early afternoon uh, on the second day and um, we were visiting him at the time and in short between about three o'clock um, in the afternoon and midnight he lost about seven pints of blood um, through internal bleeding and the medical staff were fighting for his life um, he was fighting for his life my mother and my sister and I were there uh, we were with him through the whole thing and at midnight they decided on an emergency operation um, and well, I mean, I was trying to pray for him all, all through that time. But of course, after the first 10 minutes, I'd kind of run out of, of words to say. And, and I was so glad that I was able to use the gift of tongues because I was able to pray on through the night, um, just quietly under my breath without having to think about what words I was using. And, uh, and eventually we were all rewarded at, uh, um, at about three in the morning when um, we went up to ICU and we saw him and he was stable and, and happy and uh, glad to be alive. So the gift of tongues is quite simply, it's a, a prayer language. 
But it's not the only gift of the Spirit. There are many, many. Prophecy is another one. In fact, Paul the Apostle says that prophecy is a greater gift to have than the gift of tongues. And um, prophecy has different forms, but it includes being given what we call words of knowledge, um, which when spoken out um, in the context of uh, sometimes spoken out in a, in a gathering of Christians in a church service or, or in, a, in a time of prayer, um, can connect with someone and be really helpful and really useful. Um, some of you might have heard, remember Kirsty talking on Tuesday night about our daughter Kylie, who just the other day went, and, uh, went up to, for some prayer, and the person praying for her um, said that they had a picture in their head of this herd of wild animals and the word Africa, and it confirmed something that they didn't know anything about. It confirmed um, to Kylie, my daughter Kylie, that she was to take this job in South Africa. So, and there are many other gifts of the Spirit um, that some you'll, you'll, you'll have looked at, some you'll have looked at when we did the, um, the course on spiritual gifts. But to summarize what these people experienced when they were filled with the Spirit, they, were, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, that sort of Um, the power of the Holy Spirit. They were released in praise and they received a spiritual gift from God. In this particular case, um, the gift of tongues, but there are many others. So the question is, I suppose, is would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now supposing you're sitting there thinking, well yes, I'd love to receive God's Spirit. I'd love to know what it's like for God to pour his love into my heart. But how can I do that? Well, actually, it's very simple. All we have to do is to ask God and then to be open to receiving his spirit. In other words, we have to cooperate. It's a bit like a windsurfer. We have the wind. Imagine the wind being the Holy Spirit. The wind is here. And then there's us, the windsurfer. But the only way the two are actually going to work, the only way it's actually going to happen, is if we get up on the board and lift the sail out of the water and hold on. We have to cooperate. We have to be ready to go with whatever God wants to do in our lives. And finally, it's probably worth saying this, that there are, sometimes there can be some hindrances to being filled with the Spirit. And we're just going to look very briefly at one or two of those. Um, so let's turn to, this is probably the last thing we're going to turn to, Luke chapter 11. And in this passage, and we're going to look at verses, we're going to look at verse um, 9 to 11. In this passage, Luke addresses three common barriers, um, in a sense, to being filled um, with the Spirit. But the good news is that all of them can be addressed right here and now if you want to be filled with the Spirit. Um, let me just read this, 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 this passage to you. So I say, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so the first thing that Jesus addresses here is, is in terms of of hindrances, is doubt. Jesus says six times, effectively, ask and you will receive. 
He says, ask and receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And if that wasn't enough, he then says it sort of the other way. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Six times he repeats that. Because he knows that the disciples have doubts in their, in their minds and hearts. So that's the first one. Um, we need to just trust Jesus, he says. If you ask, you'll receive. The second thing is, is fear, I suppose. Um, some people say, well, okay, I believe God could fill me with his spirit, but I'm not sure I want to. I'm afraid of what might happen, or um, will I receive something bad? Um, and Jesus deals with this. Um, he, goes on in verse, um, he goes on in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he says, but come on. If your child asked for something nice, you wouldn't give them something horrible. Do you think God's going to do that? Of course he's not. So that's how he addresses fear. The, other, uh, the third point is inadequacy. Sometimes we, people think, do you know, I'd love to be filled with God's spirit, but I just don't think I'm a good enough person. I don't think God would do that for me. I think he'd do it for, for David or do it for whoever. But, but he wouldn't do it for me um, because I'm not good enough. But actually he addresses that in a way, because although, although this is, this is a, quite an extreme word to use, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. In other words, if you, even though you're flawed, you're flawed, you're sinful, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, to those, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so he, he, he says... God knows what you're like, and he wants to give you his Holy Spirit. And I suppose the fourth, there is a fourth one, which isn't addressed in that passage, which is just kind of, I suppose, could call it procrastination, really. It's a, it's, it's a well, um, I'll put it off for another day. And uh, I'll wait till next week, or next month, or next year. And, and I suppose, if that's in your mind, I suppose I'd just say to you, well, do you remember that picture of Jesus knocking on the door, standing at the door, knocking and, uh, and saying, you know, I want to come into your life. And, um, and he says, if you open the door, I will come in. And so, well, I'd invite you to ask him, to ask him to fill you with his spirit. And what we're going to do now is we're going to have a little practical session. And, um, and I'm going to start by praying a couple of prayers and invite you to join in. And like everything on Alpha, um, you can participate as much or as little as you like. We don't want to pressurise anyone into doing anything that they don't want to do. While at the same time, of course, I'd be delighted if, you did, if you'd like to. But the first prayer I'm going to pray is, if you want to be filled with God's Spirit, then we need to have opened that door up to Jesus, who's knocking on the door. So that if there's one or two people here who would like to ask Jesus into their lives today because they feel that they, they haven't done that yet, then I'm going to pray a prayer that will help you to do that. Um, and it's a prayer that says three things. It says, sorry for the things that we've done wrong in the past. It says, thank you 
to Jesus for dying on the cross for us, and it says, please come into my life and be with me. That's the first prayer. The second one is a very simple prayer um, known as one of the oldest prayer in the church, which is to ask God to come and fill us with his spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The prayer that they prayed before the day of Pentecost. Um, and then the third prayer is perhaps to pray to ask God. There may be one or two of you who are thinking, well, I would like God to give me one of those gifts of the spirit. Um, whatever kind of gift that is, in which case you might want to ask God for a particular gift. And after we've prayed those prayers, um, Adam will, um, are going to lead us in a, in, a, in, a, in a hymn, a simple hymn that is a further invitation to be filled with the Spirit. And when that finishes, we'll just have a time of quiet and we'll just, um, we'll just wait on God, really. We'll just a- allow God to do what he, what he does. And we'll probably put on some Taze music in the background. Um, so, um, uh, and, and yeah, we'll just see what happens. Um, and after that, or during that time, um, some of the group leaders and helpers will come around and, uh, and, in, and ask you whether or not you would like um, some individual prayer to be prayed with. Um, and uh, again, that's completely optional. If you don't want to, just say, no thanks, that's fine. Um, or if you'd like to be, they might, you might like to be them to pray with you, again, for, more, for God's filling of his Holy Spirit um, or for, for some other things. Um, and after that, at some point, we'll have lunch. So um, let, we've done a lot of sitting. Um, so why don't we stand uh, together? And those, I know that one or two can't stand, um, but um, those of us that can, let's stand. And... Um, And we'll pray. We'll begin by praying those prayers. Jesus is here. He's with us by his Holy Spirit. So if you would like to ask Jesus into your life now, then pray this prayer silently along with me in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from all that I know to be wrong. Thank you that you died for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven and set free. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and be with me forever. Amen. And now we're going to pray that God would fill us with his Spirit. Um, You might like to, when I pray this prayer, I like to just hold my hands out in front of me, my palms up, just because it's kind of body language for for Lord, I'm waiting for you. Um, you don't have to, but if you'd like to join me in that, that would be great. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we thank you that you have said, ask and you will receive. And today we claim that promise. And so we ask that you will come and fill us now by your Holy Spirit. 
we pray, come Holy Spirit. And if you'd like to be filled with God's Spirit, just pray that prayer silently in your heart. Come Holy Spirit. And if you'd like to ask God for one of those gifts of the Spirit, you might want to just ask him silently in your heart, Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you give to each of your children. In which case, just name the gift and ask him. And then say thank you in Jesus' name.